Hey listeners, I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with Michael Rader, producing artistic director of the Cape Playhouse in Dennis, Massachusetts. The Cape Playhouse has the distinction from Actors' Equity of being the longest-running, continually operating theater in the country. Prior to working at the Playhouse, Michael was an artistic director for Cirque du Soleil, so cool, and a Broadway liaison and arts education consultant for the New York City Department of Education, and the director of entertainment for Paul Newman's Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. Michael's directing, associate, and resident directing credits include Cirque du Soleil's Verakai, the national tour of A Christmas Story the Musical, Off-Broadway, Stalking the Boogeyman, the national tour of Scrooge the Musical, Mandela with Norm Lewis, You Are Not Alone with Betty Buckley and Leah Delaria, and productions with Sacramento Music Circus, ACT, the Zack Theater, the York Theater Company, the Human Race Theater, the Dramatist Guild, the Forsberg Playhouse, Joe's Pub, and the critically acclaimed Off-Broadway benefit production of William Finn's Elegy a song cycle. At the K Playhouse, Michaels directed Gypsy, starring Julia Murney and Caroline Bowman, South Pacific, starring Becky Galsvig, and last season's Little Shop of Horrors, starring Andrew Keenan Bolger, Rima Webb, and Lauren Zacharin. Like our other guests, Michael started as an actor, working on several national tours, then talks about how he made the decision to go back to school to get his MFA in directing from the actor's studio, and how from there he navigated the business as some pretty incredible opportunities came his way. It was so important for me to talk to Michael because I wanted to know specifically the duties and responsibilities of an artistic director during the casting process. Specifically, when he wasn't the director on a project, like how he works with other directors, casting directors, and agents. Michael takes us behind the scenes in the audition room, talking about the conversations that take place in selecting actors for a project. He talks about how, yes, you need to be talented, but more importantly, you need to be a good person and have good energy. I think that's something some of us forget sometimes, I know that I do, and at the end of the day, who you are as a person and what makes you unique is actually going to book you the job. I know we hear that a lot, but hearing it from someone like Michael really made it ring true for me. Michael is incredibly intelligent and exceptional at his job, but more importantly, he's a wonderful person. And I think you'll have just as much fun listening to this conversation as Michael and I did having it. So shake yourselves a martini and get ready for my interview with Michael Rader. Okay, Michael Rader, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I am just Robbie, like over I'm the thrilled. moon, over the moon. <laughs> Thanks. We were just talking about Michael's shelves um, that yeah. you built yourself. I did. I, um... I, I drafted them and and sketched it out on draft paper and 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 thank God we have a Lowe's in New York now because I could order all the the plumbing from Lowe's and I went and picked it up and then got the the wood from from a build it green place in Brooklyn which is which recycles like all these building materials in New York so artistic director director S- set designer set designer, <laughs> set Hard designer. amazing yeah. amazing yeah. Okay, so it's almost May, and you are the artistic director of the Cape Playhouse, and you have a summer season. So what have you been dealing with this week, and like, where are you in your process of getting your season ready this week slash in like the next couple weeks? 
So, I mean, this is really like the crossing the T's, dotting the I's portion of my preparation for the summer. We, like last Monday, just hired our last actor for the season. So, like, like that was a process. Our audition started in January. So, mm-hmm. um, that's been like a four-month process. Those are all, we have, we have completed that process for the time being. I mean, inevitably, someone will book a Broadway show. Something will happen and we'll have to recast somebody. Mm-hmm. But right now, we're 100% cast. Um, that's a big which is deal. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. We we just booked Judy Kuhn for Steel Magnolias, which I couldn't be more excited about. Huge. I days and days and days. Days and days and days. That's how it happens. Days and days and days. Made of lunches and car rides and shirts and socks and grades and piano. And no one clocks the day you disappear. I love it. Love it. It's Judy Kuhn and Mary Testa and Leslie Margarita doing Steel Magnolias at the Cape Playhouse. Who would not want to see that? Moving to Broadway. I'm moving to Broadway. To Broadway Spring 2019. New World Stages, maybe. Yes. (laughs) Shelby. Shelby, you need some juice. You need some juice. Stop it, Mama. Drink the juice. Please drink the juice. No! <laughs> so, yeah, this time is is like literally like making sure every all the contracts are good to go, everything's submitted, designs are coming in, which is always like one of my favorite parts of the process, like seeing like these people that we've contracted and hired and, and the creative teams are, are beginning to work and seeing like the initial drafts of the designs come in is always super exciting for me because it's like oh all this wonderful collaborative creative energy is starting to produce a product and then to see how that evolves over the next few weeks and months and and then develops on the stage is of course like i feel so thankful and that i that i'm part of that well and it comes from you right like you i'm sure with help but like pick the season and pick you know the designers and you know, especially for your show, you pick the actors, but really, like, are, are overseeing all of it. So to see it start, like, visually taking shape, I could only imagine must be so satisfying and exciting. And It is, like, I think probably the, my, my top two, like, favorite parts of the job mm-hmm. is seeing, not only getting to, I love being able to form a season and then hire people to be a part of that season based on whatever the show is and their credentials and 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 you know so many of the people that I engage have working I've had working relationships with or I've known for many 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 years and nothing gives me greater joy whether it's a set designer or a actor or a director of being able to offer them a job and they get to collaborate on something with I mean I feel incredibly blessed to be able to be able to do that because of the legacy and the history of of the playhouse we're able to attract really great talent i really pride myself on hiring individuals who are not only exceptional artisans and wonderful at their craft but also that i want to work with Mm -hmm. that are going to and individuals who are going to um thrive and accept the legacy and the history of the institution that they're stepping into, mm-hmm. meaning the play, the Cape Playhouse. Um, 
And they get to spend the summer in Cape Cod. There are far worse places. I literally say it almost at every interview. There are far worse places to spend your summer than Cape Cod. So come on and hang with us. (laughs) Let's put on some shows. Yes, so Or six shows. So you're directing South Pacific this summer. I am. It's... So this is my second season with the Playhouse. Last year I did Gypsy. Uh, which was our big Golden Age musical. This year, our big Golden Age musical is South Pacific. And, um, I mean, personally, as I, I grew up sort of uh, in a summer theater environment, and the summer theater that I grew up with only did Golden Age musicals. So it was like spoon-fed to me at an early age. So I love this kind of... I mean, I love this type of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, programming. So it's also, without a doubt, the most challenging... Um, technically for us over the summer. I mean, it's a, these Gypsy and South Pacific, of course, are massive shows. Mm-hmm. We only have a day and a half of tech. So one show closes on Saturday. That show is loaded out Saturday night. Mm-hmm. While it's loading out, our overhire staff is loading in the next show right behind them. Sunday, the next day, they finish loading in the new set. Sunday night, there's a maybe three or four hour like spacing rehearsal that happens on stage. And usually what's happening during that point in time is the rest of the set is being loaded in. Mm-hmm. Monday morning, we start at 10 out of 12. Tuesday, we finish that 10 out of 12, and well, to finish the tech. Tuesday afternoon, we do a dress run, and then we open the show Tuesday night. So <laughs> it's super fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other summer theaters that have even faster turnarounds. Um, but you know, you, everybody has to walk in. I, I always tell the designers, the creative team, like you've you get ready for like bringing your a game to tech because we don't have time mm-hmm. to go back. Like you have to do your homework. Um, and so full circle, all of that to say, it makes me feel comfortable handling the biggest musical of the season and that's not anything to do with ego i'm many 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 people anybody probably could uh, other directors could handle doing a quote-unquote big golden age musical but because i, I don't know if anybody well can handle it, but i'm trying to, <laughs> but you're being very kind i'm being generous He's well very I'm, I'm kind. very kind but i know the space very well yeah. i know the staff very well i know the limitations and so i'm trying to essentially leverage all of the assets I possibly can to get a massive musical on its feet in about a day and a half. And so it makes me feel more comfortable knowing that like I'm at the helm of that process happening. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and what's cool about the K Playhouse is you get these incredible people, you know, to be in your shows like, like um, Julia Murney being in Gypsy, but but what's fun about it is I'm sure Julie Murney and Judy Kuhn and all these people grew up like you did at a summer theater, like doing kind of almost stock in this way, like in this like very fast, like we don't have m- that much time. We're going to get on stage. We're going to do it. And it's kind of something that I feel like every actor knows, understands, like gets. And it's a throwback to like their roots if they're now huge Broadway stars, you know, like you're getting. So I feel like it's. It must be so fun for them to, you know, stressful, but fun that, like, the first choice is what's going to happen. And, like, it's just going to happen and we're all going to work together to do it, you right, know? Right. Well, when I walk into, like, the first day, like, for instance, the first day of rehearsal for Gypsy, 
I my approach to and not only at the Cape Playoffs, but where, when I've directed other shows that you have a, a truncated rehearsal process, we rehearse for two weeks. So um, my approach is we are going to the first like week of rehearsal is going to be about quickly laying the foundation and the roots. And we're going to we are going to complete the show, whatever that means, in that first week so that we then have the second week to go back and discover things. I know other directors have very different approaches to these truncated rehearsal process. For me, that's what has been the most beneficial and mm-hmm. I think allows you then, because inevitably you're going to have, you're going to trip, there's going to be hiccups, there's going to be things that delay you and you you budget three hours to do um, Rose's turn and then it's six hours and you, you're behind or whatever it is. And um, so you have that second week of leverage, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, to, to catch up. Um, so I don't remember what the question was, but I don't, I think like I just like made like an observation. Okay. I feel well, like is what happens. I'm observing. I feel like I was observing. <laughs> I'm observing your bookshelves and I'm observing do your rehearsal switch, process. Do we need to switch positions so you <laughs> no, don't have to look fine. at the bookshelves? Okay. There'll great. be a, there'll be a picture of the bookshelves on the website. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, okay. So let's back up a little bit okay like let's talk about how you got to be to be doing what you're doing which is like super special so um you grew up in ohio and you've done your research (laughs) i did grow up in ohio yeah and then you were a performer you went to baldwin wallace uh, originally for musical theater so just talk about um how you discovered your love of theater and then how you ended up discovering that directing was was actually what you really wanted to do. Well, I, the town that I grew up in, Dayton, Ohio, was, and I didn't really realize this growing up, but it was kind of like, it was an arts mecca. So there were, when I was growing up there, there were like four or five um, companies that had their national or major regional headquarters in Dayton. And what that meant was then, they, all of them had had allocated all of these funds every year to be donated to the arts. Um, And so when I was growing up in Dayton, we had two or three touring houses and the the shows would come, the Broadway shows would sit down for like two weeks there. We had three professional dance companies, a equity theater, an opera, a symphony. And I sort of took that all for granted because I thought, well, every town in America has this. I didn't realize how exceptional it was. And we also had this wonderful organization called the Muse Machine, which was um, essentially, their their main mission was to bring arts into the schools. So they would bring performers from the dance troops into the grade schools and they would do a performance. Um, And it was about essentially empowering children and youth with the arts, Mm -hmm. which really wasn't existing. There wasn't much of that happening back in the 90s, um, in, in, at least in the school system that I was in. Mm-hmm. And so that was super refreshing. And then their sort of big highlight of the year was that they would do a big musical every year. And they would bring in directors from New York, choreographers from New York. They would rent the touring house downtown, and they would put on this massive, massive musical, and they would rent the Broadway sets, and then we got to perform. What? So, yeah, like, and several of us <clears throat> from that, from my class, went on to have careers in New York. Tyler Maynard, Jill Pace, Angela Gaylor, Tori Ross. Like, we all grew up together and then went all, all ended up going to New York and having careers. And, and 
So it was super, super influential in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I then went on to school. I went to Baldwin Wallace. I ended up graduating from Wright State with a BFA in, um, in musical theater and then finished that and moved immediately to New York. And for the first like seven or eight years that I was here, I was primarily performing. That was my, my main artistic outlet was performing. Mm-hmm. Knowing that eventually I wanted to move into directing and artistic directing. And I had started doing that a little bit in college, but I knew like, I want to, I, I love performing. I hate the lifestyle of a performer, of having to audition. Mm-hmm. And so it, it grew just, it, it grew tedious on me. And I was like, the, the stock market had crashed and theaters across the country were like just shutting down and closing. Um, and I thought, well, if there's ever a time for me to get my master's, like this is the time to go back to school because mm-hmm. the country was, was struggling. All of the arts were struggling. So I, I, uh, I knew I didn't want to leave New York for my, ma- my master's either. And at that point in time, there were only a handful of schools in New York that were offering master's degrees mm-hmm. in, um, in directing. And so I applied to a couple of them and chose the actor studio because it was overall the best choice for me for many reasons. But and how did you know <clears throat> how did you know that you wanted to do directing? I mean, how did you know you wanted to be a director? I was putting on stock in my parents' garage driveway when I was nine years old. So I've been <laughs> I mean, I literally made my brother and sister and the neighborhood kids sign contracts to do Fiddler on the Roof and The King and I with me in my yes. driveway. Uh, that I will was be remounted at the Cape Playhouse. Oh, yeah. With me being the most inappropriate Tevye ever at 10 years old, just, and King of Siam. Like, I picked all the inappropriate roles that were totally wrong for a white bread boy of 10 years old to play and was like, we're doing this this summer. Mm-hmm. And then I would hire mm-hmm. all the local kids and I knew that they would be like, well, I really want to go to the pool today or I have to go to soccer practice. So I knew enough from having done theater at that time, like community theater and summer theater in the area to like, to make them sign contracts. And I was <laughs> like, no, you will be here at this time and date. This is your rehearsal schedule and you have to be here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a bit ridiculous, but... Hey. At the time, I had my little typewriter or whatever it was, word processor, and and I wish I had those contracts. Some, I bet <laughs> I can find them somewhere at my parents' house, buried in the basement somewhere, but they existed. So, to answer your question, I knew early on, like from 10 years old, that I really loved the creation process of being a director and always had the vision that I wanted to eventually transition to directing Mm -hmm. and so even in college undergrad that I I would take any opportunity I could to direct student pieces or um or you know whatever whatever I could do to 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 assist a director or whatever it was I would do that even then so for the people listening but also like for me what did you like what had you done on your resume in terms of directing when you before you like had applied to get your MFA so I sort of skipped that yeah I had started um actually a a a mentor from my undergrad had said you should I I went to him and said okay Jody or what do I do I want to I want to start making this this transition and he said you need to just email 
or call or set up coffee with every single director you know and tell them that you will come and work for them for free. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, you'll bring them coffee, you'll sit and take their notes, you'll just sit in the side of the room and watch the process, whatever it is. Um, and so I did that and I started getting work assisting other directors or music directors in New York um, in any way that I could. Like, I, I didn't say no. I just started taking the jobs. And that eventually led to, like, more legitimate assisting mm-hmm. uh, positions. And then um, this random experience of working for Cirque happened. And it was totally random. And by fate and chance that it happened, um, do you want to hear that story? I it's a long story, but it's it's a great story. Well, I know the story, <laughs> but I would love for you, you to do. tell the story because I think it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, I was diligent about always researching where you know directing positions, and one day up on Playbill. dot com pops up a job that Cirque is looking for. Cirque du Soleil is looking for artistic directors. And I read the job description, and at that point in time, Cirque was was um, trying to add through line to their shows. Up until that point, a lot of their shows were just spectacle, and they were they were trying to tell a story out of the show. And so they wanted to engage individuals in the theater community who could help them with storytelling. And up until that point as well, um, Cirque was essentially hiring mostly Canadian-based artists. So now they were they were branching out and and hiring Americans and they were Ohio-based artists. Ohio-based artists, which almost <laughs> borders Canada anyways. Right. So same thing. You know, it's it's <clears throat> I'm a friend. So uh, up on Playbill pops this this ad that they're looking for artistic directors and I read it and I'm like, "Wow, that would be amazing." Amazing. At that point, I had seen several of their shows and sat there like most of us, just with my jaw on the floor, like, right. "Oh my gosh, this is spectacular!" Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I applied. I sent my resume, thinking I'll never hear from them. Um, and about I don't know six weeks later or two months later, I get what I thought was a form email back from them saying, "Thank you for applying." We are going to be in New York on such and such days coming up. We would love you to come by the hotel and check out, you know, our table and find out more about Cirque. And the way I thought that this was a form email that had gone to the 795 other New York based directors who had applied for this position. And so I kind of shrugged it off and was like, "Eh, you know, I don't really want to go to like a convention hall and like Mm -hmm. look at pamphlets. So... I remember like it, like it was yesterday. I had an audition scheduled early in the day and it was supposed to last like 3 or 4 hours. It was for some rock show. So I was dressed in like jeans and I cut off like a t-shirt that was like just as unprofessional as you probably could get for a job interview. And the audition was super quick, probably because I didn't get it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I looked at my phone. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's that Cirque thing that's happening over that convention hall. I should go. I guess I should just go swing by it. It was like right down the street from the audition. So I go to this convention hall. 
And oh, it's not a convention hall. It's a boutique Chelsea hotel. And I walk in and I tell the receptionist, hi, I'm, I'm here for um, uh, Cirque. I, I think they're doing like presentations today. And she goes, oh, yeah, let, let me take you up to the suite. <laughs> and at that point, I start to realize, oh, this probably was more of a personal email they sent to a handful of us and I'm probably in trouble at this point because I didn't respond and this it's looking like a much more intimate situation than I thought so I get up to the suite and there's a lovely woman sitting at a desk and I, I introduce myself and she's oh yeah 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 I'm so so glad you're here let me uh just take a seat and let me um let me let the uh senior senior artistic director of Cirque know that you're here and so I sit down and I'm like, wow, I've totally screwed this up as as terribly as you can. And um, no, you made it. Well, I, I, yes, but I, I mean, look, I was wearing jeans and like a T-shirt. Right. Like I, eventually I think that that well, let me let me finish the story. And then I, I think it'll lead to like why I think I got another interview. But I, so I go in and the woman is very nice. And we have this long chat. She says, oh, she greeted me and said, can I have... <laughs> Can I have a copy of your resume? I have this digital version, but I'd l I like to look at a paper version. And I say to her, I'm so sorry, but no, you can't because I didn't bring one. <laughs> I mean, just the most unprepared as I possibly could have been. And she said, okay, okay, well, let's, let's have a conversation. And so we have this long conversation about Cirque and what they're trying to do and my experience in New York and, and what I've done. And I think... At the end of the day, I, I, I got another interview. I think at the end of the day, I was so um, honest because I had nothing to lose at that point. I mm -hmm. thought for sure, I'm never going to get this job. And I spoke very honestly then about the art form and what I was experiencing as an artist at that point in time and what I desired as a director and what I desired as an audience member and what I thought I could legitimate, legitimately bring to their company. What What... I thought I could do at that point. And um, the interview concluded and um, I left and, and I got, of course, another call or email a couple days later. She said, we'd like to have another interview with you. You may want to buy a suit for that interview. <laughs> it was very sweet and funny. And so anyways, I ended up getting the job and it was a remarkable experience. And what was the job exactly? So it was artistic director for their production of Verakai. Which at that point had been running, I think, seven years. Wow. Um, or five, maybe closer to four, five years. And I met the show. First, I went to Montreal and did training in Montreal where their world headquarters are. So I did that and then went and met the show in uh, Amsterdam, which was wonderful in itself. Um, right. But that year that I, that I worked for them, they... That was their billion dollar year. So they, it was like the most successful Cirque had ever been and maybe has ever been. Um, they were just knocking it out of the ballpark all over the country, or over the world, sorry. And economic recession, but everyone wants to see Cirque. Everybody wants to see Cirque. <laughs> yes. I mean, can you blame them? It's like all these terrible, horrible things are happening politically in our country and economically in our country. Why don't we go sit under a tent and watch this unbelievable, spectacular 
production happen. Agreed. You know? Agreed. I mean, I would. Yes. So <laughs> apparently everybody else in the world was agreeing as well. What that translated to was no did not, the word no did not exist in that company. You want to try this artistically? Yes, please. It's going to cost $20,000 to do that this week. It's fine. Just try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I had never been, I had worked in commercial theater at that point. I had worked in nonprofit theater at that point. But I had never worked in that level of, of like spending and like, and just artistically willing to take all of those chances. Um, it's just like the Cape Playhouse right now. Exactly like the Cape Playhouse. <laughs> Our budgets are nearly similar. I think we spend about um, $2 million at the Cape Playhouse, which is what like the uh, concession budget, budget was at Cirque that year. <laughs> so it's very similar. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was a remarkable experience, and I left that experience. Um, we came back to New York, got my master's, and then... Um, I was, I had done some directing while my, like, while my master's was happening and during the summers and such, I would, I mm -hmm. would take directing gigs and then dove hardcore into as many directing opportunities as I could get as soon as that, that master's was over. And when did you stop performing? Was there like a hard day that you stopped performing or was it, or were you still acting? I sort of performed through grad school a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and would gladly do it again. Mm -hmm. Gladly. I'm just not going to get up at six in the morning and stand in line. And I know that sounds horrible, and but no. I'm not, I, that is just not. It's part of the job. It's not me, and I am super sensitive to all of the thousands of actors who come and stand before us every year to audition for whether it's Cape Laos or something else that I'm doing. Who have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of, I, I mean, there are many, many directors and artistic directors who have a background in performance, but I think that I, I pride myself on being a an actor's artistic director or an actor's director who mm -hmm. has experienced that and knows what that's like and is, can be sensitive to that, all that that entails, that lifestyle entails. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I performed through grad school, but haven't since I've, I've wanted to, to have a very clear trajectory and and also a very clear um branding of what i was doing mm -hmm. i was an actor i mean mm -hmm. that's what i used to do now i'm a director i'm a director period mm -hmm. um but i would gladly go back and perform again if the opportunity came up well you can cast me <laughs> you could cast yourself i could <laughs> and that happens a lot yes it certainly does why i ask is because so oftentimes it feels like this business wants to be like, okay, so if you're an actor and maybe you want to be a casting director, then all of a sudden you are a casting director mm. and like you cannot do both. Or yeah. like, I am an actor and then I quote unquote come out of the closet and mm. say, I want to be a director. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have to be one or the other. But I don't, I don't really feel like it really is that way as much as, you know, as much as people say. And I love that you are still acting even when you were, even after you had done Cirque du Soleil. And and while you were, you know, still in grad school. So it was kind of something that you were going back and forth between. Totally. I mean, the caveat I should give is that I've needed to just be a director because I needed to jumpstart that career <clears throat> and focus on that the last 10 years. Um, but I, I so envy people like Joe Mantello who can mm -hmm. very successfully cross 
the line and do both and do it very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a career I would love to have. Yeah. Love to have. Um, it's annoying that he's so good at both. So good. Right. It's like... Yeah. Yes. Um, so... Well, the door is always open. I will eventually perform again, but right now I'm so focused on... Well, running a nonprofit theater is yeah. exhaustive. I couldn't so, even imagine. Like, could I even entertain the idea of going to the grocery the last three months? <laughs> no. So am I going to be auditioning? Not going to happen. And now an ad from Blue Apron. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I don't have any yeah. sponsors. I, I, am, I am actually a HelloFresh boy. Okay. So that's okay. New to my life, I've too. not tried HelloFresh. Well, it's essentially the same thing as Blue Apron. Apparently it's fresher. Uh, but I literally, actually how this started, this relates yeah. to artistic directing, right. was January through today, like now, is... Through this moment. Is insane for me. I mean, yes. it's it's like 80-hour weeks, every day, every single day I'm working, like, all day long. Mm-hmm. So, Monday through Sunday. And I literally wasn't, like, being able to get to the grocery because it was just the workload of, of the casting process, the hiring process... I had to contract 114 people for this summer season from directors, design staff, actors, production staff. And that process of having to do that and negotiate and draft contracts in quadruple and all, all that, that that entails is, is uh, it's exhaustive. Go ahead. Where did you learn to do all of that? You know, like... That's a great question. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it was probably on the job maybe Mm -hmm. last year when you first got the job. But like, where did you, where do you, where do they, where do you learn to do all of that? Like, how do you know how much you can pay 114 people and what their requirements are? Not to mention like unions and things. Well, thankfully I had had experience as a director and a performer with the contract, the contracting process already. Mm -hmm. So I knew what that looked like from the other side of the table. I had not really done it. From, from the position of running a nonprofit theater. When I first got the job, there was a considerable amount of time spent drafting the budget for next season, which I had to do. So I knew what it cost to engage an equity actor at our contract level for four months. That part was pretty easy. Um, and then I relied on, you know, for, for the production cost of like, what's it gonna cost to build this set? What's it gonna cost to costume Gypsy? What's it going to cost to do the wigs for Gypsy? Mm-hmm. Um, I relied heavily on friends and um, uh, uh, people that had been engaged at, at the, the Playhouse before mm-hmm. to, to help me with that process. Because when I was hired, there was no one really in the position to train me. Mm-hmm. I, I had a wonderful, wonderful man who was the interim artistic director, Eric Orton, who was unbelievably gracious to with all of his knowledge of the playhouse and what what he had learned, but he was only in position um, during the year that they were, or the summer that they were having a national search for this position. Mm-hmm. And so his knowledge even of the of the playhouse was very limited. Um, so it was a, a definite learning experience, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that we came in significantly under budget last year. Um, Great. Artistically. And when I inherited that position last year as artistic director, about two, a year and a half ago, we were um, about half a million dollars in debt, and that's gone now. So 
Um, I'm saying. Budgeting, 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 making wise business decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was learning on the job, but also just life experience. Right. You know, like, how do you incorporate... I'm a firm believer that as a director, as an actor, you are only as good as who you are as a person mm-hmm. and the life experience that you have had. And I think that that translates into all elements of being an artistic director. Mm-hmm. Um, all the life experience you've had. It, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I use that in my negotiations. I use that in my, my budgeting even. It's, it's mm-hmm. all part of the process. Um, I've made, you know, I've made, of course, made mistakes. That's part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I think that I try to be humble and I try to be gracious and realize that we are all in this industry um, working towards hopefully the same goal of creating exceptional art. And so whether I'm dealing with an agent or a casting director or an actor or a designer, at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to be sensitive to that. Also, say it. I'm trying to think how I want to phrase it. Okay. I had a professor once who said to me, we're not heart surgeons, but we're surgeons of the heart. And I Ugh. totally live by that. I love that. You never know. You have no idea who's in the audience and what your work is, how it's affecting somebody else. Mm-hmm. One of the, I love this story uh, of the Playhouse. So last season we had a director engaged who... Um, had at some point posted on social media that he was getting ready to go to the playhouse to do this um, production. And he got a a phone call or an email or some sort of correspondence from um, a family member of Jonathan Larson, who this director had had been involved in Rent back in its initial stages. And Jonathan Larson's family member said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're going to that theater when growing up, we used to, as the, as the family, used to vacation in Cape Cod, and we would vacation near Dennis or in Dennis. And we used to go to the Friday children's theater performances that they did, which we still do. And Jonathan saw The Wizard of Oz there, and was that was his like first experience with theater, and was so taken by it that he would perform it on the beach for us. Oh. And that's where it started for him. So you never know who's going to be in the audience. Um, that story is the best. Right? Coming from like the biggest Rent head. I mean, I <laughs> won't yeah. tell anyone how many times I've seen Rent. So that's hear- incredible. The day Rent closed, I was in outside of Washington, D.C. I saw the second to last performance Ugh, because I was so at envious. school. And yeah. I couldn't get tickets to the last performance. Of course, of course. And so I got tickets to the second to last performance, and I sat in the second to last row and fully died. Yeah. In truth, the 
remember the day that it closed, being outside of Washington, not being in New York, feeling like so sad that this is like this era has ended. Because for me, that show started like at the end of high school um, and was such a profound shaping artistic experience seeing that and like getting the I remember getting the cast recording, the two CD set and like yes. listening to that and like then finally, finally getting to see it and like being blown away. later actually being in in the community of like working as a professional in the community and like that show was closing um i just remember feeling super melancholy that day and like i think i literally wore black that day (laughs) (laughs) perfect so i understand yeah well and now that's amazing that story is incredible about jonathan and finding theater there exactly i think we everyone that is working in this business has that moment of like you know of seeing something and and needing to keep doing it and absolutely your life's work that's why we do it right right i mean okay so my next question okay. is how did the k playhouse happen for you like this you mentioned this national search and like this is this incredibly reputable historic theater and 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 how did what was your first experience with it? Did you see it on Playbill.com just like you did with Cirque? And did you go to an interview in your T-shirt or like what you know? What no, was I, it? I, at this point in time, I I had learned my lesson. So I had been there before to see a friend in the show years before, but my experience with the Playhouse at the at the interview stages was basically nothing. Um. I hadn't, I mean, as far as working professionally for them, I hadn't performed there, I hadn't directed there. Um, And so the position came up, I had seen it advertised and started the application process with them. And um, it was a very tedious, (laughs) lengthy process, as it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it took place over months and months and, you know, started, of course, with interviews over the phone here in New York where I live most of the year, and then um, progressed to going to Cape Cod and having interviews with board members, and um, and uh, so it was a it was a very lengthy process. Uh, I think I was probably an atypical candidate for them. They had struggled for e- several uh, many years at that point in time with programming and what how they how they wanted to adapt the theater. Um, for the future. The struggle I think at that point in time was Cape Cod is very isolated. It's just it's an isolated community uh, and how do you attract patrons to the theater after they spent a day on the beach? And also how do you honor the historic legacy of a, of a theater that I mean like decades ago they used to, I mean can you imagine this? They would do Ibsen and Chekhov and Shakespeare in the evening and the place would sell out. Today, people are not going to come off the beach and go and see yeah. Chekhov. So, um, uh, I it's think... It's such a different world. I mean, like, with even with 
streaming devices. Exactly and right. Like, yep. you know, or, or television, you know, it's... Would you rather sit in your Chekhov was Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? Exactly. I like that. Ooh, that's a marketing campaign. We're, we're <laughs> definitely doing the Cherry Orchard next year. Okay, great. I would love 10%. Okay. We'll negotiate that. If we meet you halfway and do like nine, is that okay? <laughs> Talk to my agent. Okay. We'll get on the phone. Um, so I think I, I think I maybe had a bit of a different programming approach. Um, that was appealing to them. And like, what were their questions? Like, what were they like? What is your first season you want to do? Yeah, or like, absolutely. So okay. I and obviously anticipated that question. Mm-hmm. And when they asked me that, I pulled out a long typed season for them with descriptions of the shows and many, many, many options. Uh, and I know they were impressed by that because they've told me that since then. That was oh, you, I, we were very impressed that when we asked you that question, you had a long list of options for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and m- several of those shows made it, actually ended up making it into the lineup ne- last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were obviously lots of questions about programming, what I wanted to do that, w- as far as programming that wasn't happening at that point in time. For instance, we brought back uh, arts-based education programming uh, last season, doing theater classes, um, which hadn't been happening at the Playhouse in many, like probably 20 years at that point in time. Um, and I said, well, I'm very passionate about uh, engaging the youth of our community in the arts. And so if I were to get this job, that would absolutely be something that I would want to implement right away. Mm-hmm. Season one, like we're going to start this. And we did. We started the program and it's been tremendously successful. Um, not only do I think it's wonderful that we're, we're empowering kids in the community to be able to study like and take classes alongside these wonderful performers from New York. I mean, it's a completely unique experience that, I mean, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Where, where else do you get to take classes with Broadway actors and directors and designers? Yes. You know, so it's wonderful for them. But we're also, in, once again, engaging the community. So it's a twofold um approach and it's been wonderfully success- successful so this year or we're, we're doing it again of course but we've almost doubled the amount of classes that we're offering and um and hired more staff and so um that was one of the things that i presented when they were during the interview process of what are you going to bring to this position that maybe hasn't been brought before we were just on a little commercial break. <laughs> so you were asking okay, me. Okay, so I said, I said, oh, what Jonathan Larson, like, when are you going to do Rent? So here's the interesting thing about that question. I, this past year, um, when, I, when we were planning the season, I said, I want to do a proper campaign to poll the patrons about what shows they want to do. And I had been told at that point in time that everybody there wants to see... Golden Age musicals, Rodgers and Hammerstein. They mm-hmm. want to. They want to see Neil Simon. They want to see a murder mystery. Period. Done. So I put together this campaign to uh, to poll all of our patrons about what shows they wanted to do. And instead of asking for them um, to just blindly submit options, I provided about 20 different shows musicals and then 20 different plays and asked them to vote on them 
which would they would most prefer. I think I, I think they were like they were allowed to choose like of the list of five, pick your top five. I mean, of your list of twenty, mm-hmm. pick your top five. So smart. And I put shows on this list that we never, at this point in time, will be producing, like Les Mis, like Rent. I thought, let me put Rent on this list and just see how few votes it gets. Because our mm-hmm. audience, who loves Rodgers and Hammerstein, and no doubt they do, is never going to pick Rent. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen. I'm just curious to see what would happen if I put it in this survey. Right. So I did. <clears throat> I included it in the survey. Rent was the second highest choice of shows for the season. And then, of course, when I presented this information immediately, because I was shocked when the results started coming back in, when I started to present this information to the staff and the board, of course, everyone came back and said, yes, but who's taking the survey? And I said, well, funny you should ask that, because part of the survey was, of course, you have to provide your demographic, age demographic, and many other Mm-hmm. Um, specific points and the the top demographic that was taking the survey was like the 65 year old demographic yes. and uh, nobody had a no one had an answer for me that was justifiable uh, but, so I thought well you heard it here first Rent 2019, 2019 the Rent. Cape Playhouse <laughs> because that's what Starring I want Michael see. Rader oh my god as Maureen fu- no Mark <laughs> I mean, come on. I've been me too. Oh, oh me on. too. Yeah. But, I mean, I could try Maureen. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Last night, I had a dream. Put the uh, offer out to Adina. Okay. Well, you know, if we can get Tay to come, then they, it's like a two-week vacation. Is she still with Tay Diggs? No. They got divorced years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that part out. I'm leaving it. Leave it. <laughs> Fine, leave it. Only thing to do is jump over the moon. How interesting. I and know. what was the number one choice? Um, well, interesting. So there were two number one choices. We had the write-in, the number one write-in choice. Oh, so Rent choice. was third. No, 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 no. I, I just mean we had a... we No, Rent was second. But we had like... Um, I ranked them from number one like choice of the survey. And then because they were also allowed to do write-ins. Oh. So the top write-in was Wicked. <laughs> Give Adina Menzel a two-show contract. <laughs> back to back, Rent and Wicked. That would be. Uh, I mean, we would sell more tickets than we knew what to do with. Um, <laughs> and after you had to forge the rights to do Wicked, exactly. the theater would be shut down. I, I don't know if would MTI notice that we were doing the first professional production of Wicked off. Of, I mean, even though it's not licensed, who knows? <laughs> So, I, so then I had to explain to my patrons, which I did in my curtain speeches, that when a show is running on Broadway, you can't license that show. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I promise you, I'm not holding back from you doing Wicked. <laughs> oh, great. No one can do it right that now. That was like your laugh line and, in the curtain yeah, speech. Yeah, <laughs> and then people in the audience literally be like, oh. You would see that reaction of like, oh, I didn't. People aren't aware of that. Right. They just think, well... Why aren't they doing Wicked? I'm obsessed with that. The day that Wicked, the rights for Wicked get released. Uh-huh. And all the high schools are doing it. Good and, Oh, luck. I can't wait. Yes, me too. I can't wait for the YouTube videos. But yeah. 
all the shining stars in high schools around the country coming in as Glinda in her bubble, like, what that will look like at different high schools, and I can't wait. It's well, at the K Playhouse someday. Someday it will be there. Okay, so okay, so the write-in was wicked. The write-in was wicked. The top choice was Chorus Line. Okay. Um, followed by Rent. Uh, followed by South Pacific, which great. We are realizing this summer doing South Pacific. And now the challenge becomes: Well, do we take that risk? I mean, mm-hmm. that would be doing Rent there would be a massive change in programming than anything that's ever been done there before. I mean, it's traditionally it's it's been a um, um, a more of a golden age mm-hmm. theater, musical theater type of, of house. That being said, they did do, and they did do cabaret a few years ago, um, which walks the line of that being totally walks the line. A contemporary but it's still Candor and Ebb. So. But it's still Candor and Ebb. Um, but it did very well. Étranger, stranger, glücklich zu sehen, je suis enchanté. Happy to see you, bleib rest, stay. Willkommen. When you're doing a musical, it's okay to, for some reason, to have half naked women and uh, vulgar language. Because it's a musical, I guess. Right. But if you put those same half-naked women and vulgar language into a play, mm-hmm. forget about it. The mm-hmm. complaints will just fly mm-hmm. in for the patrons. And yeah. you know, it also... I imagine that it's also about... Well, Rent has the stamp of, like, Tony Award, Pulitzer Prize, or, like... And because, like, some critic or somebody said that it was okay, it's now appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's something about that that, like, it's someone validated. said it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. it's validated. Yeah. So, you know, those are the joys that you get to experience as an artistic director yeah. of having to explain to your patrons, well, we can't cut out the language in red, or we can't change the language of art mm-hmm. because that's what the playwright wrote. I'm so sorry, but that's the play, and we're going to yeah. present the play as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now let's like okay. totally switch gears. Great. <clears throat> to what you just went through the past like four months in the audition room. Okay. Auditions are so tricky <clears throat> and there's so much to say about them. And what I'm really getting after in my podcast is, you know, I've been talking to casting directors <clears throat> and, um, and music directors and directors and actors but what was your role as the artistic director in these auditions well again i like to be very sensitive to um my involvement in the process of casting i'm and what i mean by that is as a director myself at other theaters i've been involved in other theaters where uh, artistic directors have had a very involved process in the casting and other theaters where the artistic director was more hands-off. And I'm not here to say that one approach is better than the other. I tend to subscribe to the idea that I like to hire really great people and get out of their way and let them work. Mm -hmm. So to that end, I am there for all of the auditions. I'm always in the room. Um, Are you there for 
primarily just like the final callback or are you there from like usually the initial appointment from the actor? Usually, I mean, we, we of course do some screening auditions that I'm not, that I am not there for, but once the audition... Screened by Jeff Josselson. The wonderful, amazing... <laughs> and you can listen to brilliant. his podcast oh. after this one if you haven't already listened hi to Jeff, it. Hi, Jeff. Or hi, upcoming Jeff, or whatever. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Um, Jeff is fantastic. He's new to us this year, and I adore him. The best. Um, uh, but yeah, I, usually I'm there for the what I would consider the audition proper mm-hmm. part once we've... Um, we're doing appointments or, mm-hmm. but, but I, I'm also always there for the EPAs and the ECCs and you go to EPAs as well. Absolutely. I, so I have six different directors. Well, five different directors cause I'm the sixth director who are of course invited to be a part of the EPAs. A lot of them attend them and we've cast a lot of, well, a handful of people, I should say mm-hmm. from the EPAs and the ECCs. Um, there's also always wonderful surprises that come from those. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to be there and be supportive of the process for the actors and for the directors and the creative teams as well that are involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm always there for those. Um, it also seemed like to me, the people that maybe have been cast from EPAs, but also some of the people from the EPAs also just made it very far you yeah. know, into the audition process. So maybe didn't get the job, but they're also just people that you know now absolutely and the entire team knows them now Mm -hmm. so whether they get the job or not i think it's it's incredibly beneficial because they've made it Mm -hmm. they've made it day after day after day in the audition process and then that whole team knows them Mm -hmm. so for whatever upcoming project they may be doing or we see them again next year or for another show uh now we have a relationship already forged with them Mm -hmm. and that's very useful so when you're watching these EPAs mm-hmm. and you're watching 200 people, you know, in one day, is there anything that you can think of that people, that these people do or, or is there any rhyme or reason for why you end up bringing them into, into the proper auditions for your season? I mean, I guess the obvious answer is just like being prepared and being very talented and being super right. But, right. but what makes someone you know, stand out after you've been watching, you know, all day? Well, of course, being prepared, being talented. Absolutely. I tend, though, to subscribe, and this is going to sound maybe a little, like, flighty or, well, I don't know. I'll just say it. But I think that I'm super sensitive to energy Mm -hmm. when people walk in the room. Uh, I don't mean I'm like like a mystic or a healer. What I mean (laughs) is, is, like, I can, I think that I'm able to, gauge someone's energy when they walk in the room and whether or not that that energy is conducive to a positive artistic experience Mm -hmm. um in the rehearsal room and in that and then as as a as a performance is that some someone or somebody that i want to collaborate with is that Mm -hmm. someone that i want to go through a rehearsal a a quick rehearsal process with um someone you know a team that i've hired um so for me there is always an energy that that an actor gives off when they walk in the room, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and I, as a director or an artistic director, try to be very sensitive to observing that energy. And and um, I have that actually I think is even almost more important to me than 
talent. And what I mean by that, of course, is that talent, of course, is important. I'm not saying it's not important. But if I come down to two actors who are equally talented and I feel like I'm, I receive... Uh, or if there's like an ego involved with one of them or an insecurity involved with one of them um, that I think may hamper the development of a character or the artistic process or the collaborative process with them, I'm going to go with the other person. Mm -hmm. um, even if they're not even as talented, I would much prefer to create art and work with that, that other individual. Mm -hmm. um, and what do you mean like, uh, and to break down this idea of energy, like I totally get that as someone that is a reader and is in auditions but like do you think you can get even more specific like when it's about energy like about i mean th things that come to mind are like knowing who you are feeling comfortable right. feeling like grounded mm -hmm. feeling like this actor isn't nervous i mean what do you think when you think of energy yeah that's what comes to mind right off the top when you mention that is nerves you know you can mm -hmm. pick up on nerves right away and that's always a red flag to me um, if someone's really nervous at an audition mm -hmm. um, and and then also sincerity I would say mm -hmm. in an audition whether it's sincerity of just the character that they're auditioning for and what and the sides that they're doing on the song that they're singing what they're portraying if it feels sincere to me that's obviously <laughs> obviously a very good sign mm -hmm. um, the other red flag I would say would be uh, apologizing. I see this all the time of people coming in the room and apologizing for something. Well, I, I just, I, I, I'm later, or that's a bad example, but people who come in the room and give off an energy right away of, of either not trusting themselves and apologizing for that or not fully understanding the material, they haven't done their homework, um, you know, so many people now walk in the room, obviously. You, you get eight sides handed to you by overnight, and you have to learn them. So many people come in the room and are so prepared mm -hmm. that if you're not prepared and you're apologizing, whether subconsciously or not, for not having been prepared, that's the end of the road for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen many talented, really talented people walk in the room and have not done the work that other people have done. And I can't help them at that point mm -hmm. i'm you know it's like well if you're not going to put in the the work and the energy for the audition then why mm -hmm. why would i think that you would do it for the role mm -hmm. especially when the given circumstances of the job that you're casting them for is very you need Wet. to you need to exactly exactly right so talk about preparation so what is that what does like preparation mean to you in terms of like a first say you're it's a first audition with the full creative team is memor how important is memorization not you know? important at all good good to know yeah i don't i'm totally fine with people holding their sides referring to their sides like at the end of the day it's an audition i totally get that mm -hmm. and we have busy lives and we have jobs and we have to work around that schedule what I want to see is a dedication to the material, an investment actually is probably a better word, to the material, and that you've at least spent some time investing in the story that you're telling in the room. Mm -hmm. um, but do you need to have it memorized? No, mm -hmm. not at all for me. Does it help? Mm -hmm. Well, you probably are going to connect with the reader better, mm -hmm. right? You're going to be more familiar with the material. So if you have the time... 
mm-hmm. then I say absolutely. Mm-hmm. Why would you not? Right. If you have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have the time, as is often the case, you get handed the sides overnight. Don't apologize for that when you come in the room. Mm-hmm. Own it and just do your best. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> someone someone comes in and they're auditioning and they're really good and you really like them and like you're like, I'm totally calling you back. And you're looking on their resume, right? Like it's it's why people have resumes is to be looked at. If and if they've if I have you like honestly, have you ever done this? Have you ever like looked at someone's resume, saw that they've worked with someone and reached out and reached out to that person or, or All like the time. asked about that person? All the time. Okay. Um I we often get down to the get to a point in casting where it's between two or three people or there's one person that we like but they're very different than somebody else and we're trying mm-hmm. to you know what what direction do we go with this role do we hire the traditional person or do we hire the person who's funky and different and do we take a risk if i see someone on their resume that it's worked for them whether it's a director or an artistic director or a costumer or whoever it is i'm i will absolutely reach out to them mm-hmm. and say what was your experience like because again, we have such a short rehearsal process. Yeah. We, I want the experience to be as as enjoyable as possible for the entire team. Because when you're rehearsing as quickly as we are, you have to leverage every minute of rehearsal to the yes to you know to the the extent that it can be used as an asset to the whole production. So, um, I will yeah I will absolutely reach out to people. And mm-hmm. I've been burnt in the past by not reaching out to people or by people saying, don't work with such and such. It will not be a good ex- experience for you. And thinking, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. We'll charm them. It'll be great. I can I can, I can, can make this work. Yes. And it being a terrible experience for everyone involved mm-hmm. and not having, not having relied on my my comrades who have already gone through it and and so now yes now i listen to when people say "Mm, it's probably not going to be the best experience for you Mm -hmm. and um and this is a quick process so i don't i don't want i don't have time for that essentially Mm -hmm. we don't have time for that now you kind of talked about this before but what what i'm so interested to know is like okay the callbacks just ended and you're down to like a few girls or guys for a role that you're like anyone would be great you know like anyone could clearly execute this job well what are some things that play into like who actually you're gonna like send out an offer to like i'm sure it's on a case-by-case basis depending on the show but say like you're the director say it's south pacific or or a fictional show that you are directing right Mm -hmm. like what what goes into like who actually, you know, who will actually get the job? I mean, are there, is there anything? Well, I think there's two different answers for this. If I'm directing the show, it's a different process than if I'm the artistic director. Mm-hmm. As the artistic director, I, again, like to hire great people and sort of get out of the way. Now, of course, I'm always involved in that part in the final casting of just sort of overseeing it and offering my opinion. Um, but I love also 
hearing what other people think. And, mm-hmm. and um, I had a, a wonderful friend and colleague who said, who challenged me once on, on casting and said, you're making the safe choice. You're making the safe, safe choice. Take the risk here. It's much more exciting for the, for everybody, for the audience. If you go with a, a little bit different of a, car- a person who may not normally have who comes to mind immediately of, of playing that role. Wait, and I'm it, obsessed with that. A yeah. casting director told you that? Or who or a director? No, a choreographer I was a choreographer. So we were working together and I okay. had, and I had said, Well I want to go with this person and he rightfully said, Take the risk and go with the other person. Oh, so and we cool. did. And it paid off so so well. So And um, cool that you are also working with a choreographer who just felt like they needed to say that to you. Right or felt like they again. Could. I like to hire like people that I feel like are going to say those kind of things. Meaning they're they're going to challenge me or they they have a depth of experience, uh, and get out of their way. And mm-hmm. so that happened to be a project where we were both working together. But um, as an artistic director, when I'm in the room and and the the creative team is sort of making their final decisions, I will very rarely get involved and say, um. I will. I would go a different route here, um, if I'm, if I'm being honest. That probably only happened twice this season, mm-hmm. where I said, I'm not comfortable with that that decision being made. I would suggest, and I never say no. This is not happening. I engage a discussion about it, mm-hmm. and then we all make an informed decision based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Your initial question was what, who makes, how do you make the cut from the callbacks and who's getting the offer? Um, it's people who are, again, we have great energy when they walk in the room, which I know sounds cliche, but it really is a world of difference for me. No, because it's the same as like if you meet someone on the street, it's like you want to spend time with someone yes. and work with someone that just has like a, a right. positive or good calm yes. energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell right away they're going to be. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say this because it sounds so cliche and political, but it's like, who do I want to have a beer with? Yes. You know, at the end of the day, like, I want you to be an exceptional performer who is emotionally connected to the material you are working on and can and can go there with the mm-hmm. material. But it, also, I want you to be a great person and I want to be able to have a beer with you at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, that's what's important to me. We're, we're all in this craft because we want to affect our audience. We want to tell a story. We want to do something that is profound. At least, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I'm here. Um, I want to go places that people haven't gone before and, and tell stories in a way that haven't been told that way before and have an impact then on the audience and, and the patrons who are seeing the show. So I want to engage people that I feel like can go along with me on that journey. And if I... If I sense for a moment in the audition process that there is going to be a resistance to that or if there's ego involved in that that it's going to prohibit that from happening mm-hmm. I'm not in, I'm not interested mm-hmm. it's not I'm I look life is too short and so is the rehearsal process and so <laughs> is the rehearsal process <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah so that's who makes the cut for me. I, again, am very, uh, I'm, I'm proud of the individuals that we've engaged this season because I, I, um, I don't take this for granted 
for a second what we get to do mm-hmm. and what I get to do. Um, it's emotional to me to think about it that we um, we essentially get handed this material, a, a piece of theater that has been passed down now from generation to generation for the most part, unless you're doing new work, of course. But we're entrusted with this material for a brief period of time and we're expected to do it justice and respect that material. And I have no interest in doing cookie cutter or bland or um, uninspired theater. I want to do inspired theater all the time, whether that's the 15th production of Gypsy that I've done or the first time I am realizing a new play that's never been produced before. Mm it's equally important to me in both environments to be approaching the material as if it was the first time the title page was turned on the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want people involved with me in the process, whether it's the music director or the costume designer or the person who's running spotlight or taking tickets, all these people that have to be engaged as part of being an artistic director who feel that passionate about the mm-hmm. art form and what we're doing. Otherwise, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Because I can sit in my apartment and access 200 channels of streaming mm-hmm. everything. Why are we here if we're not doing it for the passion? And Amen. Like, yes. Amen. Amen. Cheers. Cheers. Martini cheers. Ding. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, last question. You got okay. three more. <clears throat> Oh, three more. Well, as many as you want, actually. Okay, no, yeah. I just have one more. Okay. Okay, so say I'm an actor, yeah. and I... Okay, say this was five months ago, and I'm like, oh my God, I am perfect for Nelly in South Pacific, and I know... I feel really confident, like I know that I can play this role, like I would love to audition for your, I would love to get in the room for your production of South Pacific. And like, I have an agent and I'm, you know, and I'll submit, or maybe I don't have an agent and maybe I can't go to the EPA or I can't, or or I don't get seen for the EPA or something. Like, is, how does one, how would, how would someone like get in front of you? Or how would you hear them? Have you ever had people send you tapes before? Like Every day. Have you... Oh, every day. When we're in our casting process, again, from like beginning, like January 1st mm-hmm. until now, we get emails on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about Jeff, our casting director. I'm talking about the generic email address at the theater of like resumes at capeplayhouse.com okay. of people submitting on a daily basis. Okay, great. For they th- exactly what you said. I think I'm right for Nelly. I think I'm right for Shelby. I think I'm, you uh-huh. know, whatever it is. Um, it it happens constantly. And who and do you go through those submissions? Yes, but you can. I mean, look, it's incredibly hard to judge mm-hmm. from uh, from a resume. I I. I will say this, I try to pride myself, or I do pride myself with trying to engage as many actors as I can. And what I mean by that is just because you've done 12 Broadway shows or haven't done 12 Broadway shows doesn't matter 
to me as far as getting you in the room to audition. Mm-hmm. Um, we have engaged several people this season who who came to the EPA and had or were ju- essentially just launching their careers and made it through the entire audition process and got offers from us this year. Would they have gotten in the room if they had submitted? Mm-hmm. Probably not, to be honest with you, because when you're looking at submissions, unfortunately, when you're looking at a resume or you're looking um, at someone's credits, that in the amount of Broadway shows you have is what probably is going to get you in the room or notable credits that align with the season that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I, you know, I get I've had this question asked to me many times. How do you do it? How do you get in the room? I don't have a great answer. Um, it sounds like, and what is a good answer, is that EPAs work. And there's like such a stigma with actors that, you know, don't go to the EPA. Or, mm-hmm. or right. you know, there's even a stigma with actors that actors that go to EPAs are quote-unquote a certain yeah. kind of actor. Right. But the more people I've talked to, and even with Jeff talking about casting your season mm-hmm. and you talking about it, it's, you know, and I spoke to another cast director who recently gave someone their Broadway debut because she found them in an EPA, mm-hmm. you know? And so it seems like EPAs are are a strong way and not a waste of your time if yeah. you're right for the project and exactly know, right. Well, I yes, the caveat there is if you're right for the project. Right. Because we spend so much time at EPAs and in ECCs with people auditioning who clearly haven't either looked at our seasons mm-hmm. <laughs> or are not right for any of the roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but then every once in a while, which is the redeeming factor, you this wonderful person walks in the room who maybe is right out of school or is um, just perfect for a role. It happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you bring them back and or they get the role. So you're right. Like, go to, I, 100% go to the EPAs, go to the ECCs. We have cast many an individual from those obsessed with that <laughs> obsessed with that yeah. obsessed yes. with you michael oh. rader obsessed with the cape playhouse yes so if you're in cape cod cape cod or the boston area <clears throat> or the boston area yeah. check out the cape playhouse amazing season amazing actors yes we're uh, very excited <clears throat> um thank you for talking to me oh, i'm gonna save my other two questions for the next interview. For oh next my God. When we do a follow-up part, Sunday. Part 2.0? Part 2.0. We should do that at the Cape Playhouse this summer. Ah, uh, I'm obsessed with that. Because that, <laughs> the process will have started. Or Great. Or we'll be well into the process at that point. Great. And it yeah. will, you'll be in a different place and I can Completely. ask you different questions. Yes. And we'll see how everything panned out. At that point, I'll be sponsored by Xanax. So bring it on. <laughs> and my podcast and will be sponsored by Blue Apron and Absolute <laughs> Vodka. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll have lobster rolls ready for you. See, we'll be full, oh, full sponsorship at that point. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait. Well, until then, thank you so much. Of You're course. so intelligent. No. Can't wait for the lobster rolls. <laughs> thank you. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com. And connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Hey!